Uh, well, we should get started. <laughs> okay, so we've been doing the series called Here. I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a minute. Uh, but I'd like to begin by sharing with you that I've never really been strong at math. My wife knows this. I can calculate a tip and do some other things. In college, I was a liberal arts major, uh, like kind of studied political science and religion because I thought I was going to get a job at a political science store. Uh, when I was done, and so I was like, I don't need math. So I took like the easiest math, and I swear to you, I barely passed that math class. I like had to beg her. Like I would be like, can you give me tutoring? And just pass me, and she, out of the mercy of her soul, she passed me with the lowest grade possible. And like she would tutor me, and she'd be like, well, what do you mean by, what do you think these matrices mean? I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. Um, so I come to you, and I'm gonna talk to you about math as a person that's had to really overcome a lot of challenges. I, as a deprived child, or um, I'm blaming other people for that. But anyway, the, uh, there, there's someone that's very different than me that was a math genius. His name is uh, Leonardo Fibonacci. And some of you have probably heard of this guy. And Fibonacci, he lived in the 1200s, and he was a very famous mathematician. He is not a math magician. So a math magician is something we use in our house when Marin does math, because the blood is now uh, in the child. So she has my DNA. She doesn't do real math, like based on numbers and reason and like logic. She does it like guessing. It's almost like abracadabra. And it's like watching David Blaine do math. It's like, is this your card? She like guesses numbers, tell us, right? We're like, yeah, but that's more like math magician, not math mathematician. Well, Leonardo Fibonacci, uh, look at this guy. Does he, what, Cam, what does he look like to you? Nerd. Nerd, that's right. <laughs> he looks like a math nerd. Look at this math nerd. Nerd. Dude, Cam, Cam and I planned that. What do you think of that? Should we do more of those? Okay. So, Okay, so Leonardo Fibonacci, famous mathematician, and uh, he was brought a problem, a math problem, and they said, hey, if you put a pair of rabbits in a room, uh, and every month that pair of rabbits reproduces another pair of rabbits, uh, and then within each new month, each new pair of rabbits would produce another pair of rabbits, and so on, at the end of the year, how many rabbits would you have? Too many, that's right, get rid of them. Uh, if anyone's ever been to Victoria, BC, they have a rabbit problem. Uh, uh, anyway, that, that's a side note, we don't have time for that. Uh, they don't have squirrels, they have rabbits, like literally everywhere. So anyway, he started crunching the numbers, bleep up, and what he came up with is this. At the end of one year, you'd have 466 rabbits. At the end of two years, you'd have 150,000 rabbits. And at the end of three years, you'd have 2.5 million rabbits. Now, that's a lot of rabbits. Now, here's why I'm talking about Fibonacci's rabbit problem and how it relates to followers of Jesus. If you've come to the place where you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Christ, someone would call you a Christian, you've aligned your life with Jesus, here's what we know. Jesus calls us to be his apprentices, to follow in his footsteps. But he also invites us to apprentice others. We're invited to multiply ourselves. And the thing that we're multiplying isn't some political party in Washington, D.C. It isn't some version of what we think the best life is based on what we read in magazines or what we see on television or what we scroll through. We're invited to welcome others into the life-giving, non-violent, suffering way of Jesus, the powerful way of Jesus. And in fact, the idea of apprenticing others, multiplying ourselves, was such a big deal to Jesus. 
And it was such a big deal when Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. It was one of the last things that he told his followers before he went into heaven. And you can read about this in Matthew 28, verse 18. It's Jesus. He's talking to his disciples. And he says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Which means he's saying, I have all the authority. It's all mine. I have all the authority. And here's what I'm telling you to do with that authority. I have the authority, and I'm giving you authority. I'm going to give you the authority. And he says, there, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's, he's saying, go, make disciples, make apprentices. And here's how this is going to work. This, you're going to teach them, okay? You're going to teach them things. You're going to teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And it, it, I love this ending because at the ending he says, you know, listen, if this feels overwhelming, if it feels like it's a project bigger than you can handle, it's okay. I'm going to be with you. You're not doing this alone. I'm with you in this process. What we see here is that every single follower of Jesus has been commissioned Every single one of us has a calling, a unique calling. We're called to do something and to be something that no one else can do or be. Like the person next to you can't do what you do, and they can't be what you be. You are unique in every way. But that specialness, it comes with great responsibility. But also, as a part of God's unique calling on our lives, we are called by Jesus to call forth that specialness in others, that reality for other people. So this is what we've been doing in the series called Hero Maker, Hero, and this is what it means to be a hero maker. It's the shift from what my gifts are, what my talents are, what I'm good at, to looking to others. And we're saying, you know, I understand myself, but here's what I see in you. You're making heroes out of other people. You're bringing out, calling forth the good that you see in other people. Now, two weeks ago, I shared uh, about how to think like a hero maker. And last week, I shared about how to see like a hero maker. And today, we're going to speak about the potential in others and how to live like a hero maker. And the greatest example of how we see to how to live like a hero maker comes from Jesus himself. Okay, so how do we live like a hero maker? Well, let me tell you. Imagine, you got Jesus. He just starts out in his public ministry, right? So it was a private ministry. He was, we don't really have a lot of stories about him before he was 30. I mean, at that time in the temple when he was 12, his parents were like, where were you? He's like, I was with my dad. They're like, okay. So you fast forward to when he's 30, and he starts his public ministry, and instantly, he becomes incredibly popular. Like, he's so popular. He's like as popular as Travis Kelsey, uh, recent uh, he, <laughs> tight end of the Kansas City Chiefs. Does anyone know who that is? Travis Kelsey, super popular. Like, suddenly, he's like on the map. Like, he wasn't on the map, and now he's on the map. Jesus is on the map. And people wanted to hear Jesus. People wanted to hear him because he's a great teacher. And also because he's performing these miraculous signs. So, like, there is blind people that now see. Deaf people can now hear. People that were demon-possessed are cleared of all that nonsense. And they're thinking in their right minds. The lame walk. And at one point, he miraculously fed a group of 5,000 people with a kid's lunch. The kid brought his lunch. 
It was like five loaves and two fish. That's like a kid's lunch. And he goes, okay, let's feed 5,000 people. It would be the equivalent of if some kid was here and we're going to feed, okay, we need to feed all these people. And he's got his little chicken nuggies and he's got his ketchup and his seemingly ranch and what it is. And, and he goes, let's just multiply that. And there's so much chicken nuggets afterwards and there's lots of ketchup and seemingly ranch. Finding out that G- <laughs> Finding out where Jesus was at was a big deal. If you could find him and get to the scene, you could, it would be like the chance to hear him speak was like a really big t- deal. It was like one of the big tickets in town. He, you could be a part of it. It was really exciting. And that's how big he was. But I want you to get this. This is really important. He's a big deal out there. Everyone wants to be around him. He's doing miraculous things. But when it comes to the crowds, all those people, that was not his focus. That was not the focus of his ministry. When Jesus is getting started to carrying out his mission, look what he does. In, verse, uh, in chapter 6 of, of Luke, he says, One of those days Jesus was out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus prayerfully and intentionally selected a few people that he would pour his life into. He selected 12 people he thought he could make a difference in. And here's a fun fact about Jesus. Of all the events that are recorded about Jesus, of all the stories we have about Jesus in the Bibles, did you know that 73%, 73% of all those stories, you can go back and you can catalog them, 73% of those stories involve him and just a handful of people. 73%. Guys, this is so different than the wisdom of our culture where bigger is better. Uh, our culture says the way to make an impact is to grow your brand, is to grow your YouTube channel. Uh, like and subscribe, smash that like button, grow it, grow, grow, grow. It's to, you're to grow your audience, to grow your business, to grow your TikTok followers, to grow, even to grow a church. Like, make it as big as possible. That's what you're supposed to do. Our, often our culture tells us that bigger is better. Why? Because more feels like more right? It's just more. It feels exciting. It's more. It's better. But that's not what we see in the life of Jesus. 73% of the encounters that he had with other people were in groups of less than 12. Sometimes 12, sometimes even less. Let that set in for a minute. Let that set in. What I'm saying is, is that your impact as a follower of Jesus, your influence as a follower of Jesus, is not determined by how many people you invest in, but by how deeply you invest in others. But here's a question I want you to wrestle with. Just as Jesus intentionally to wo- chose to work with a handful of people, I would want to know, who are your few? And I want you to think about this. Perhaps those are people in your workplace. Perhaps they're people in this church. Perhaps... Your biggest impact with someone else may be not something that you do, but someone you raise up. Now check this out. Once Jesus selected a few, he did a few things. He shared his life with them. That's one of the big things he did. So he's got the 12. This is what he does. He shares his life with them. In John 3, 22, it says, After this, Jesus and the disciples 
went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. I want to highlight the part that says Jesus spent some time with them. Now, you may be thinking Jesus spent some time with them is not that big of a deal. This is a, but this phrase, spent some time with them, in the original Greek language, which is what we look to often for the original manuscripts of the scriptures, we see that this phrase is a composite of two words. Okay, It's a composite of two words. It is dia and tribo. Can everyone say that with me? Dia tribo. Thank you, Lupita, and everybody else. But she, she, she did the best out of everyone. She said diatribo. Diatribo. Good. Someone else is mad in the back that they didn't get picked. So uh, uh, dia. Dia means against, and tribo means to rub. So it's to rub against. So basically what the writer is doing here is saying is that Jesus spent some time with the disciples. What he's really saying is that the kind of time he spent with the disciples is the kind of time where he would rub off on them. He would rub off on them. Have you ever spent so much time with someone that they start to rub off on you? Have you? Or have you ever spent so much time where someone, is, someone in this crowd is looking at someone and they like, they did the side eye. They're like, they're right next to me. Anyway, it made me laugh. Have you ever spent some time where they start to rub off on you? Or vice versa, you've started to rub off on them? You've, you've started to rub off on them. I know it's true for me. And it, uh, we actually have things that we do in our family where we really rub off on each other. Is anyone familiar with the comic? His name is John Mulaney. He's very Irish, very Catholic. Okay. And John Mulaney, he's a comic. He's got some good bits that are good for adults. His latest special, Baby J, is all about his addictions. It is a fantastic insider's look at what addicts, how addicts think, but it's funny. Anyway, that, that's not what we're talking about today. Well, so John Mulaney, what happens in our family is he has appropriate stuff for a whole family, and then he has some things that we don't let Marin listen to. So the things that are appropriate, uh, they end up getting worked into many of our conversations. <laughs> and I promise you, and this is so bad, that I'm pretty sure that John Mulaney is being quoted more than scripture in our house these days. <laughs> <laughs> and it's used. We use it for good timing. We try to sneak them in. We try to make each other laugh. And we do it so much that we start to rub off on each other. And we carry that attitude into all of our conversations and our environment. Like, for instance, like, uh, uh, for some reason, he has this bit about Bill Clinton. And we talk about... Uh, John Mulaney brings it up. He's like, the Bill Clinton now isn't the Bill Clinton back when I knew him, when I was a kid. He's a skinny Bill Clinton. He's like, hey, uh, I don't do nothing to nobody no more. And we all do like an impression of Bill Clinton. And, uh, and then she, uh, Mary will go, oh, it's the comeback kid. Right? That's what he refers to. Uh, there's another bit where uh, he talks about how Mick Jagger isn't very nice because he's been Mick Jagger. That's his name. And uh, Marin will quote Mick Jagger. Uh, because there's this part in the bit where he, Mick Jagger's so famous that he can say Diet Coke and one will appear in his hand. Like, and that's not very nice. We're supposed to ask for Diet Cokes. So that's, Marin will wander around the house yelling, Diet Coke. And then John tells another part of it where Mick Jagger is uh, working with him and uh, then John makes a joke and it's not funny. And instead of like being polite about it, like Mick Jagger just looks at John Mulaney and goes, not funny. And it's really funny. So Marin, so Marin will wander around the house being like, not funny, Dad. And uh, man, this is not as fun as I thought. I should move on. I will uh, dine up here. Uh, so 
The last one is, uh, I, wanna, <laughs> I have to mention this, is that John has this bit where he's in church with his dad, and they're singing, and kids don't sing a lot of times when they're with their parents at church. And so the bit goes is his dad lifts him up off his feet and stares him right in the face, and he yells at him, and he says, God can't hear you. And, uh, and which is really funny. And so I don't know if you notice, but every once in a while, uh, Nicole will lean over to me in the front row, and you know what she's saying to me? She's saying, God can't hear you. <laughs> they can't all be winners. The fact is, is that we rub off on each other, okay? <laughs> and that's diatribo, okay? And so, so it says when uh, Jesus spent time with the disciples, it's not about a measurement of time. It's about how they did life together. Just like Nicole and Marin and I, we rub off on each other. We have little inside jokes. Clearly, they're inside jokes. Uh, but so here's my challenge. If you want to be a hero maker, if you want to be able to pay attention to where others are at and call the best out of them, if you want to expand your influence beyond yourself, the small little individual persons that we are, what we do is we take initiative and we select a few people and then you diatribo. You rub off on them. You allow your life to speak into them and their life to speak into you. Okay? Does that make sense? Diatribo. You rub off on them. Now, some people may have a hard time with this, the idea of diatribo. I'm gonna, uh, there's a few objections I'd like to cover with you. The first is, the yeah, first objection is, I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, to which I would say, okay, then don't. I mean, I can't really force you to do that. But what I would challenge you in that is, is that God invites us to play in his big vision. But if you're still not interested, there's nothing I can do to help you. But for everyone else who would be open to it, the second objection would be this. I'm not a spiritual giant. You might say, I'm not a spiritual giant. How can I diatribo? How can I rub off on people? I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, to that I would say, true, but don't worry about that. You might not feel like a spiritual giant. You might not know everything that you need to know, but that's okay. Some of you are thinking this. Uh, you go, you know, I'm not, I'm not that big of a deal. And here's something that you need to hear. God has put things in you. God has put things in you that are good. There is good stuff in you. You have good stuff to offer. No matter where you are or what you've come from or how much or how little you know, God has put good stuff in you. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, God's put good stuff in you. Can you do that? Say, God has put good stuff in you. He's put unique gifts inside of you. He's put unique abilities inside of you. He's put together inside of you interests and capabilities inside of you. And he has uniquely placed you exactly where you need to be. Now, if, if those two things, now if, you're, if you'll just do those two things, just select a few people and then give away what you have. And if you choose to do that, that's called diatribo. If you do it with a handful of people, that would make you a hero maker. There's a third objection, often we hear about this, is I don't have time. Uh, to that I would say, yes, you do. Yes, you do have time. How do I know you have time? How do I know you have time? Well, because the very nature and definition, and this would be the harshest thing that I say today, the very nature and definition of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is this. By definition, you've chosen to yield every aspect of your life to the leadership of Jesus, which includes our time. And the, and the scriptures explicitly describe that the Christian life is a process of choosing the way of Jesus 
over other ways. And so by very definition, of, to be a follower of Jesus, we do have time because our lives are aligned with Jesus. So the problem might not be the words, his words in this. The problem, if we have, time, if we have trouble finding time, the problem might be our priorities. But let me give you a second reason why you, I know you have time. Because it depends on how you use it. I get it. You're very important. You have busy schedules. So do we. We run around on the weekends taking Mary into things and, doing our, and building our life out. We have lots of activities, busy schedules. I get all that. But here's the thing about diatribo. It just doesn't have to be something that we add to our schedule. It's about doing things that we're already doing, but then doing them in a different way. Listen, for some of you, as I'm talking, there's a few people uh, who've come to mind that you can influence. Diatribo, for you, could be as simple as eating lunch together from time to time on a regular basis. You've got to eat, right? So do that with someone else that you want to invest in. Another way to do this uh, would be to take a colleague uh, to an important meeting with you. As you're driving to the meeting, you're investing in them. That's an example of diatribo. You don't need to change your whole life to find extra time. You find the ways that your life is working and you invite others into it. Let me give you an illustration. I have found that um, massive diatribo, this idea of rubbing off on each other in our family, happens right before Marin's bedtime. And first thing in the morning when she's not allowed to be on the screens, okay? Children who do not want to go to bed are massively open to having the deepest conversations if they can just stay up 10 minutes later. Uh, all day, Marin will discuss Roblox and can she get a Roblox gift card, cat memes, and she will lay out the reasons why The Flash on Netflix is the most important TV show in the last 5,000 years. And then, you know, but after the devices go away and she's getting ready for bed and she's laying in bed, I'll get questions from her like, and these are like real questions. These are questions I've actually gotten from Mary. How can I, Dad, before you go to bed, I have a question. How can, do you want me to use like a kid voice? Okay. How, how can I trust the reliability of the scriptures since it happened such a long time ago? What, what, what are you talking about? Or how can we sure that the biblical stories weren't made up? Because after all, they, uh, after all, they were just like oral stories for such a long time. I'm like, Marin, you know you have to go to bed. <laughs> Why are we talking about this? Or another one of my favorites is, Dad, can you remind me, how did you and Mom meet? Aw. And so you have to do it. But there's, there, there's a moment in there. And you have a captive audience because they don't want to go to bed. Diatribo could be as simple as having someone over for dinner. Uh, it's finding the ways that your life overlaps with other people's lives. And so that's really what I want to share with you today. That like investing in other people is, uh, is important and it's coming alongside and choosing people, but then just rubbing off on them and giving away what you have. And if we choose to do it, who knows what could happen? Who knows the impact the people you invest in will have in other people? This is the way it's always been done. Jesus invested in 12 and it really worked out well. I don't know of any other way that we have other than to give away what we have with the people who are closest to us and who we select to invest in. And so as you go from here, if you want to make an impact, it's not in the crowds. It's not actually uh, just trying to 
say things to random people, but it really is finding a handful of people you can invest in. Amen? Does that make sense? Why don't we all stand?